Please do turn in a copy of God's Word to uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at uh, chapter 19. I think you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 878. This is a passage that is a portion of the Gospels that is referred to as the triumphal entry. It's often read uh, in Christian churches uh, on Palm Sunday as we celebrate that passion, that final week. Uh, Every one of the Gospel accounts uh, in the New Testament uh, gives attention to this. Uh, Something tells me that uh, it gets that primetime coverage for a particular reason. We might want to to listen, to lean in and pay attention. Uh, It's the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, No one knows that except him. Uh, Even though, of course, he has told uh, others multiple times, including in this gospel account. And Luke, he's told us three times, uh, no less than three times, prophetically, he predicts uh, that he will go into Jerusalem, not to have a political overthrow of power, uh, but to ascend a different type uh, of throne, um, a different crown altogether. His power uh, will be displayed in weakness, in persecution, and then in resurrection. He explicitly stated this. He explicitly noted to the disciples even nearest to him that he would go into Jerusalem, that he would be accused and tried and persecuted and mocked, and he would be killed, and then he would be raised again by the Father. But literally, down to the person, almost no one could actually believe that or wrap their minds around it. As we mentioned several weeks ago, the closer you get to the cross, Things are increasingly a little bit backwards and upside down uh, the closer we get to the cross. Jesus is reminding people, uh, even for a few weeks ago, as we read in the Gospel of Luke, that the first will be last and the last will be first. And there are all types of reversals and things that uh, are counterintuitive uh, to us when it comes to following Jesus. 30 years already of Jesus' life and ministry has gone by, but we're only at Luke 19. There's still more to come. So obviously there's a great deal of attention that is given and devoted to uh, this last uh, very very brief season, season of Jesus' life. I don't think that's disproportionate. I think that there's uh, a reminder again and again that uh, the cross uh, was never an accident. It wasn't uh, and isn't a detour. It was in the forefront. It was prominent. It was crucial. It, it, it was and is necessary. And so uh, that's what we're called to believe and trust is the cross of Christ and its message. Uh, please stand and we invite you to stand uh, in deference to God's word. We're going to read Luke 19. Particularly, we're looking at verses 28 through 44. Hear this. This is the word of God. And when he had said these things, that is Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem uh, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of his disciples saying, go, go into the village in front of you and where on entering you will find a colt tied to one who has never been yet been sat on. Untie the colt and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, they were sent away and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along and they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawn as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice 
for all the mighty works that he, they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he, Jesus, wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm going to pray. Would you join me, Father? We're asking for help. You would guide us, uh, our thoughts, away from uh, anything that would be a distraction to, uh, I pray, I desire a deeper appreciation for Jesus. Uh, His way of wisdom, a way that is mysterious to us because it also involves suffering. And regardless, Lord, of, of how people found themselves here today or what they find going on in their story and struggle, I pray that all of us would hear by the power of your spirit by faith and you would place uh, in our lives more uh, more joy in the lord and that we would uh, lift him up and glorify him and it's in jesus name that we pray amen last week i highlighted the fact that it's not our choice when we uh, find the consequences when we have to uh, answer and be accountable on any small or big level uh, we don't uh, get to choose our judge Uh, We're we're assigned a judge in a court. But if you had a chance, you know, that's just the authority that's placed in our life. But if you had a choice, if there's one court that you don't want to go into, by and large, most of the time, it's the court of public opinion. True? True? No one wants to be. Typically, you don't want to be in the court of opinion. Why? Because people in that court can be entirely merciless and ruthless. People... I'm going to say a lot of obvious things today. Uh, One of those is this. People, we, people, not them, us. It's us, not just them. Us. People are fickle. People are fickle. Public opinion and sentiment can shift very, very rapidly. Just ask Lori Lightfoot. Who might you ask is Lori Lightfoot? Well, she is the outgoing now mayor of Chicago. 2019, she was elected with a huge swell of support from almost all of the 50 wards around the city of Chicago. And yet this week, she set a record because she's the first mayor in over 30 years in Chicago who has lost a re-election. She only came up with 17% of the votes in those wards. And so her two challengers from her own political party uh, now are going to go and face a runoff, and she's done. It sometimes seems that way with Jesus. You see, we at this particular point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is at his all-time high. He has the greatest amount of support. I mean, he has cosmic celebrity status. Uh, he is, he's got lots of followers. He's got, he's got, I mean, if there were social media, Jesus would be lighting up Twitter and other people would be helping him. Uh, but at this particular point, that was all to say that his, uh, his popularity was, uh, was at an all-time high. It, this week begins with hosannas, right? It's not explicitly stated, but in other gospel accounts, we know that people are waving something 
on this particular day. What are they waving? Palm branches. We always, you know, you always see people using palm leaves. It was a whole, a whole branch. You know, they're, they're, they're really getting into this. And they're singing and saying and declaring and proclaiming Hosanna, which is a word, a Hebrew that means uh, God save us. God save us. Hosanna. Glory be to God in the highest. This is our king. We're celebrating him and praising him. And that's at the beginning of the week. But at the end of the week, ironically, there are people screaming something else. And the sentiment has drastically changed. And it is what? Give us Barabbas. Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. This is probably a good point to do a little bit of review. Just to remind us, who are the, who are the parties in view? Who are the particular factions and groups? There's four in particular. The first is the obvious that's stated here in our text. That's the disciples. They're the ones who've been traveling with Jesus. They've seen him. They've, they've witnessed his miracles. They're the ones who are, are eager to praise him. They don't quite fully understand him, but they love him and they're devoted. Then there's another group uh, that's uh, the religious leaders, right? We've, we've referred to them. They're also mentioned in this passage. And they are the Pharisees. They are the ones who actually have an immense amount of power. They're the religious leaders of the day. They, you know, they conduct uh, all their business in Palestine. And the Jewish people are there eager to hear from them. Uh, they, they, uh, Josephus, who's a, a Jewish historian, talks about how it was the Romans in power. But the real people who had uh, the, you know, the influence and the power uh, were these uh, Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. Uh, they, in particular, don't like Jesus. Jesus has been ministering, you know, in the countryside and the, near the Sea of Galilee and other places uh, like Jericho. But now he's in the city of Jerusalem and uh, he is a threat to their popularity. They've heard all about him. He makes his way into the city. They don't like his teaching and they want him eliminated. Yes, taken out. There's another group that we might call the third group, which we might call the Jewish nationalists. Okay, the Jewish nationalists, these are guys who are brute, they're rowdy, uh, they, they probably have swords, they probably drive pickup trucks, and they probably drink monster energy drinks. <laughs> Thank you. Last week, you totally didn't get uh, my joke about bumper stickers, and that was on me. There was yours. Okay, thank you. These guys, they, this group, they're all about, they're totally ready for Jesus to throw a full down smackdown on the, the Roman oppressors. They're ready to restore uh, the Jewish uh, nation back. They don't want, they're all for Jesus. If he's a Messiah, great, we're on board. We don't like the Romans. And then there's last, that fourth group. There's the Romans. They are the ones who have uh, the power. They're in charge. But they uh, allow the Jews to uh, essentially rule themselves. And so they have uh, quite a bit of, of say and sway. But even they must be consulted, right? That's why the Jewish leaders, remember, when they try Jesus at the end of his Passion Week, they bring him, the chief priest, to who? Pontius Pilate. He has to go before. The, they can't execute the uh, uh, you know, capital punishment upon Jesus. Uh, the, the, the Romans are going to need to do that. And so as Pontius Pilate comes on the scene, it's Passover week. Context, this is really important. This is Passover week. Jewish people from all over are gathering. The city of Jerusalem is, in a, is, is a buzz with lots of, 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 of activity and commerce. People are celebrating what in Passover? The deliverance that God gave to the Jewish people over the oppression of the Egyptians. This, of course, was centuries prior. They're rehearsing and reminding themselves of God's deliverance. The last thing that the Romans want is for some type of stir. Uh, They don't want any political or social unrest right now. So they're like, listen, keep this, please. 
uh, any rebellion, any, you know, any, any mess with some you know, miraculous teacher or prophet who's come into town, we're not interested in it. Two themes from our text. I've listed them in the order of service there. Two theme, themes that I want to highlight. The first is there's a sign of triumph in this. And the second is there's a sigh, not a sign, but a sigh of tragedy. That's what this is. It's a mixture. As we read it, it, it's, it, it, it naturally kind of you know, comes up to our observation that there's a, a triumph in view and there's a tragedy in view. And even Jesus' emotions and actions demonstrate that. So here, first of all, this sign. The sign is what? Jesus is riding on a colt. That's odd. Normally, Jesus just walks around. Uh, uh, Most people, I mean, Jesus doesn't even own a home, let alone any livestock. Why is Jesus riding on a colt? Well, Jesus has something in view, and he is on a deliberate mission. I mean, there's such a specificity, right? He's like, you need to go to this town, to this farm, to find this particular animal, and they're going to ask you this particular question. Okay. Now, of all the details that we get about Jesus' life, think about this for just a moment. We have, to, we have to ask ourselves, inspired by the Holy Spirit, these writers are recording particular things. Why is it that we miss out on what it was like for Jesus to be a teenager? Honestly, those dinner conversations with his family. What did his siblings think? What was it like? What kind of inter-dialogue went on? I can think of all types of scenarios where I think to myself, it would have been nice to know some of the details of that. And yet, here it is. Why, all the, why are these details about going to a particular uh, place and getting this one particular animal for Jesus? Well, it's because, and that's, you're here mentioned uh, in verse 30 and following, it's because it's a sign. It's a sign of a, of a king, of a triumph. Ironically, that's a little bit, again, backwards and upside down for us to think about this. But the, uh, the act of getting in, on a donkey and having it covered and then to ride into town is a symbolic act that Jesus is purposefully doing to disclose his identity. Matthew records the same account in chapter 21 when he says, This took place, meaning the colt that he went to get off of, uh, uh, there is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Uh, and then it goes on to say that, behold, you know, Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt on the foal of a beast of burden. And let's go to the original source. He is quoting, Matthew is quoting, as Jesus records that, he is recording what was said of the pro- by the prophet Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt on the fold of a donkey. What does this mean? Why is this symbolic? Why does Jesus come into Jerusalem, the capital city, and he's going to you know, head in? Why is he not on, of all things, a war horse, a stallion? Uh, I mean, I don't really know much about animals, but I, I, I know what a Clydesdale is. Thank you, Bud Light. Uh, you know, they're, they're, why not a big horse, a, 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 an untrained colt? A, a, what, what is this? What, what is this? Instead of riding in on a, a why, why not a black, you know, Cadillac pimped out Escalade, right? Why, why not that? I mean, why this lowly, untrained, inexperienced animal? I mean, really, it's like 
Jesus is, it's, it's like Jesus is riding, not on, a, not, on a, not on an Escalade, but in, on a bicycle, right? On, on, a, on a 50cc, uh, you know, little, little, you know, moped or something. It's even worse, though, because it's an untrained, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a colt. It's never been ridden. It's, it's like he's riding a tricycle into town for crying out loud. I mean, this, is, this would seem like a joke. But the symbolism here is of humility. Here he's communicating that unlike, uh, and that's not what anyone would have hoped or wanted, but the inauguration of a king would, would be that he's going right to the palace and he's going right to take over the Roman oppression. But Jesus isn't coming. Remember what it says. He did not come to serve, but, excuse me, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So he's writing in and he's saying, listen, it's not the political uh, agenda here. This is about me conquering sin, death, hell, the grave, guilt and shame, the spiritual problems that we have. He's here to conquer the father of lies, the enemy, Satan. And he will. And then their response is, yes, yes, Hosanna, save us. God is salvation. Save us from what? Save us from oppression? Save us from this, you know, this, this political power? No, they should have been saying, not Hosanna, save us from, th- from this group. It's Hosanna, save us from our sin. Save us from ourselves. Many of his disciples did know that. What is sin? I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Again, it's that reversal. Sin Here's one working definition is servants putting themselves in the place of a king. That's sin. But the opposite of sin is salvation. Salvation is the king putting himself in the place of servants. Jesus is a savior who lays down his life. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise before he even goes to that cross but all the more that we know it looking back in hindsight. The people praise him, the disciples. What do the, what do the Pharisees say? That's enough. Look at verse uh, 39. Let's, uh, let's read it together. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Quit acting like you're a king. Quit, quit, quit letting them laud you and praise you as if you're the king of the Jews, which we know you're clearly not. And Jesus says, well, if they're not, if they will not, Then verse 40, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Who is Jesus? I mean, we know his identity. It comes into focus later when Paul says in Colossians 1 that he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 says that he's the firstborn over all creation. That for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. What does that mean? It means all things. So even the rocks which he created with, with just the power of his word will begin to sing forth praise if the people do not, he's saying. That's profound. Jesus, of all things, is humble, but he's not modest. I'll come back to that. Jesus will not accidentally die. He knows he's positioning himself for slaughter. And because of his death, we have life. Because of his humiliation, 
We have exaltation. Jesus is the king. I heard one Bible teacher put it this way. Jesus is the king that no one expects. No one. And yet everyone needs. He's going to be taken before the Roman authorities. And on the basis of Jewish law, he's committed this high crime, which is blasphemy. Remember what the sign is, right? Not, not, not the sign of him riding on the, the colt when they're singing Hosanna. But the sign once he gets on the cross is what does it say? It's, it's a placard that says, here is the king of the Jews <laughs> dying. It's mocking Jesus. I remember seeing a passion play when I was a kid and they had a sign up there. They said, but he is the king of the Jews. Yeah, they, 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 they're mocking him. Well, yeah, we'll get a crown for you. Anybody got a crown for Jesus? Yeah, we'll use this one. It's made of thorns. There's triumph coming. It's not in a way and it's not through the means that they or we would have expected. But here it is. And then we see in Jesus' good character, in the, in the wisdom of, of God's heart here, there's a tragedy that many will misunderstand and reject Jesus. And so there is this, this sigh. We know that Jesus knows that he is going to be rejected and persecuted. That's coming. And yet we see his heart because look again at verse 41. It says, when he drew near, he looks over the city and his, his response is emotion and weeping and he's grieving. He's grieving the fact that they have an ignorance. It's a culpable ignorance, but they are ignorant. And consequently, they have blindness. And that will lead to their ruin. He knows that there is a curse for the covenant unfaithfulness. I failed to mention that, again, there's this significance in signs, right? Part of, the, part of the significance of the sign of riding on that colt and taking on the humility is Jesus is living out a parable. Does that make sense? Like he, he's, he's a living parable. It's like Ezekiel, the prophet, or like the prophet Hosea. What is, what is told of Hosea? You're going to go and you're going to marry an, an, an unfaithful woman. And not, not once, multiple times over. She's going to be whoring herself out. And Hosea, I want you to go and seek her out and pursue her and restore her and forgive her on account of my covenant faithfulness. But now Jesus is looking out and John one, not my words, but the gospel of John. Jesus came to his own and his own, by and large, rejected him. So. There's, there's, there's about to be something unfolding here now that when not unable to see the king and the, the faithfulness of God to his covenant, that they're going to reject him. Jesus knows this. There's going to be a curse for their unfaithfulness. That's spoken of, by the way, time and time again in the law, in the prophets, in the poetic literature, in the wisdom literature, all throughout the Hebrew Bible. There's this reminder subtly coming that if you are unfaithful, to the covenant, there will be curses. He knows that the Jews will be judged. That was told, by the way, it was not uncommon for God to actually take up through the instrument of neighboring enemy countries 
to bring discipline and judgment on his own people. That happened before with the Assyrians. It happened before the, with the Babylonians. This is all stuff we know in history. Again, it's Josephus, the, a Jewish historian, he's not a Christian, who clearly describes what happened in AD uh, 70. And, and what Jesus is weeping over the reality of a judgment that's coming upon the city, knowing full well, and it will be thorough. Titus of Rome will come in and people will be wiped out. It's not comforting to contemplate. And we see God's heart, Jesus' heart here, as he weeps with compassion. The oracle of doom did come true. In chapter 21, Jesus is going to talk more about that, the destruction of Jerusalem. But he shed some light on the fact there in chapter 21, as we'll read in a few weeks, that nothing As as, as terrible as that is, it's only a foreshadowing of what is to come in the final judgment. A sign of triumph and a sigh of tragedy. There's a mystery here. It's not Jesus' mystery. He knows full well. And Jesus here is in complete control. There is some ignorance. There's obviously some confusion even for the people who are praising him, some of that praise, some, you know, some of that song is intermingled in their uh, doubts and confusion and ignorance. Some people love Jesus for the wrong reasons. Others, others find themselves rejecting Jesus for, the, for also the wrong reasons. True then, true now. We... Back to my original observation about human nature can be a fickle people. God, even as we sang earlier, is great, great, great in his faithfulness. Jesus offers a way. We can be fickle. We need clarity. We need transformation. We need hope. But Jesus offers that. They must and we must choose sides. And with Jesus, the message is clear. It's either crown me or kill me. Either crown me or kill me. There is no C, none of the above. Uh, D, let's wait and see. I know. Have we mistaken the identity of Jesus? Do we despise his humble and mysterious ways? Do we struggle in prayer to overcome doubt? Yes, all those things. I I do myself very much. But again, let me invite us to consider, again, the mystery of the upside down, the backwards. Jesus wants to be king. He's not concealed that. Remember, Remember the times... In the Gospels, there, there have been clear instances when he gives sight to the blind, which was a very purposeful illustration of his power and the problem of the human heart, which is not just a physical problem that some might have with impairment of physical vision, but our spiritual need to let, to let the glory of God shine in, that we would see ourselves for who we are, God for who he is in all of his holiness, and the gospel message which reconciles those two problems, or the, that, that reality and our problem. But when Jesus heals people at other points in the Gospels, not this close to Jerusalem, not this close to the Passion Week, 
He says to them, now be careful, don't go and tell anyone about this. Well, that's not the case now, because he's ready to ride in. This is, this is intended to be triumphant. He is not rejecting the praises. He's so willing to accept it that he's saying, if you tell them to shut up, rocks are going to start praising me. Someday all of creation is going to do this, right? You, you re- realize this. Like contemplate this for just a moment. That when he comes back, oh, and he will be riding on a horse. And on his side, he will say, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's a mystery to me, but it will overwhelm us. Those who are united to Christ with joy as he is bringing justice and mercy. He's he's reversing the curse, making all things right and all things new. Right now he's heading to a cross and we don't want to mistake in his identity then or now or at any point at any in any area of our lives. It's it really is down to that. Do we struggle? Of course we do. Jesus is saying Crown me or kill me. It can't be something in between. Make me the Lord of your life. This is a passage that has people ready to praise or reject Jesus. Is he the king of your life? Have you fully surrendered every area of your life? Your your, your emotions, your, your schedule, your relationships, your ambitions, your dreams, your intellect, your, your, your pocketbook, your plans. The gospel pushes us. Remember what I said, the greatest critic is not you. You think it's your boss. You think it's your, your annoying parents. Let me tell you, our greatest critic is the cross because it tells us that we have a problem and a need and we can't fix it. And then Jesus comes in glory and says, I'm the offer. Surrender your life to me and you'll be covered and cleansed and clothed in righteousness and restored and given peace with God the Father. You'll know, you'll know righteousness and it will come upon you. It's it's the cloak of my life, my record, my credit, new hope, new heart, new life, new family, new inheritance. Tim Keller in a book called King's Cross says, He, Jesus, is both the rest and the storm. He is both the victim and the wielder of a flaming sword. That's that vision of him riding on a horse in Revelation at the final day. Keller says this, and you must accept him or reject him on the basis of both. Either you will have... Either you'll have to kill him or you'll have to crown him. The one thing you can't just say is, what an interesting guy. That was, that was intended to be funny. I didn't write it, but I, I, that's how I read it. How do you read it? We, we don't have the ability, as we just conduct our lives... We don't have the ability to say, you know, Jesus, let's, um, how about this? Let, let, let's negotiate something here. I, I definitely need, uh, I mean, I feel this way in parenting. I mean, I, I'm supposed to be a, a, a coach. I'm supposed to be a cop. I'm supposed to be a consultant. Um, you know, I, you know, what, well, I, Jesus, could you just be a consultant today? Could, could we just have you, could you just bring down 
could you be my provider today? Yes. Could you be my coach? Yes. My friend? Yes. My savior? Yes. The one who blesses my life? But yeah, yeah, yes. All of this and so much more. But first, I'm going to be your king. Nothing less. First, I must be your king. Nothing less. We see his power and his works, and we're called to submit because of his kingly authority. It's, It's not magical, but he wants us to enjoy him as a loving father and trust him, our our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Judge Jesus. That's all I have to say about that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We, we, we were told in John that Jesus did other signs in the presence of the disciples, which weren't recorded. But the things that were written were written that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. Thank you. Thank you for pressing us into even a place of decision. Lord, we want to crown you as king over our lives. We want to trust you. We want to believe you, but we doubt So would you please forgive us? Would you please forgive me for my unbelief? I pray you draw near to those uh, today, souls in this very room, who perhaps have had painful trials, temptations, troubles, unrest. You've you've tested them, Lord. For those who are doubting, I pray you'd sustain them, that you'd uphold them with your mercy. Those who are struggling, would you help them to see? Would you grant to them hope, Lord, perseverance? Grant to them faith and to all of us. Lord, thank you for answered prayer. I do ask and I do remember that you uh, would please be merciful to provide uh, comfort, encouragement, guidance to Matt and Camille as they prepare for a marriage. We thank you for giving uh, them to one another in your kindness and your sovereign plan. What a mercy, Lord. Father, we thank you for the comfort that you have brought to, to Rick Carmichael. And I, I pray especially for Roberta as she's uh, recovering and she's battled cancer. And now uh, this, this longstanding virus that we're all familiar with. But Lord, I pray that you would comfort, courage, strengthen her. Lord, we, we pray for comfort and mercy when we think about other places totally outside our community and our church family here that we love. But people that we don't even know and parts like Syria and Turkey and Ukraine, where there's unrest and violence and tragedy. Pray that you would mercifully, you'd, you would raise up people, especially amongst your church, to minister the love of God. Hear us, Lord, even as we prepare to come to the gift that you've given us in the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As we prepare, Lord, we, we want to pray. So we, we thank you for that model outlined prayer for us to follow. And as familiar as it is to us, Lord, I pray that we would say it with sincerity, praying in Jesus' name as he taught his disciples together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will 